the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Justin Holcomb. I serve as canon for vocations in the diocese. The cathedral is my and my family's home church where my 13-year-old, this morning at 8 o'clock, started her role as being a lector, and my 12-year-old serves in children's ministry, and it's a joy to be invited to the, the preaching depth chart here is pretty big, just there's a lot of good preachers. And so, uh, and when I'm not somewhere else, I get to come here with my family. So it's a thrill to be able to preach in Advent 4, which is one of my favorite uh, weeks of the year. A few weeks ago, my wife, Lindsay, and I celebrated our 16th anniversary. And after you do 16 of those, sometimes you repeat certain things. Maybe the cliches start kicking in when you grab the card to start writing on it. And so to, to get past just writing cliches to my wife, I grabbed the prayer book and I turned to page 427 and read the wedding vows. And that helped me because I'm reflecting on our vows, but I'm really reflecting on her promises that she made and how she fulfilled them in way more than the vows that are there. And it reminds me of the security and trust I feel towards her. And then the card words start flowing uh, because I'm just overflowing with gratitude for her. And if you have someone, at least one person, and I hope you do, that you can count on in life like that, it's a gift someone who makes promises and keeps promises. Perhaps for you it is a spouse or a family member or a friend. But we've all had someone not keep their promises, right? We've all not kept our own promises and it stings. This not keeping promises erodes trust and hope. And I can't think of anything more foundational to love than trust. This not fulfilling promises is one of the sources of the greatest amount of pain for so many people. And this is something I believe that we all experience. My daughters, when they were younger, four, five, six, they started being aware of this type of pain. And how much more for those of us who have a few more decades on children. I mean, think of a parent making a promise to a child and not following through, or a friend, or a spouse. When promises are made and not kept, it, it doesn't just sting, it can be devastating. And so much loneliness betrayal, anger, sadness, confusion, doubt, grief, finds its root in broken promises. And I'm bringing this up, not, I mean, I almost feel bad because you're just trying to show up to church, worship Jesus, and preacher boy starts talking about some of the roots and foundations of our deepest pain. I mean, we could sit around and just share stories of the sting, but it's for a reason. It's because in acknowledgement of that pain, we hear the good news more clearly that God is merciful, that he's loving and patient, trusting, faithful, and true, that God keeps his promises. 
And so hopefully while we're thinking about the promises not kept for us and the promises we have not kept, we get our eyes turned away from ourselves, not minimizing that pain and not minimizing the pain we've caused. We don't want to just minimize it, but fix our eyes on the God who does keep his promises and see how that helps us return back to those experiences with a different type of life. So in this fourth Sunday in Advent, we celebrate God's faithfulness in sending Jesus. That's the entire point of this week and all the readings. And you heard it in the Advent uh, readings uh, for the, the candle lighting. And we remember his faithfulness as we look forward to his return in the future. So we, we look in two directions. We remember God's faithfulness in the past, and we anticipate it in the future. This faithfulness is seen in the drama of the scriptures that we have. Let's look at Isaiah. The Isaiah passage tells the story of King Ahaz, and he is the king of Judah. And he just became king. He has not not a lot of expertise and, and experience. He's, he's kind of fresh. And Judah is under threat of a foreign invasion from Syria. So Syria is, is looking at them, and he is afraid, and he is worried that Syria is going to devastate them. And Ahaz puts his faith in another king, the king of Assyria, can be confusing. So Syria is the threat. Assyria is where King Ahaz takes gold from the temple, gives it to the Assyrian king to hire the Assyrian military to fight on their behalf. And so Ahaz places his hope for salvation in human powers rather than the Lord. And Isaiah is calling for Ahaz and saying, Ahaz and all Jerusalem, Put your faith in a far more reliable ally, the Lord himself, because he has always kept his promises that he has made. And so Isaiah points to God's divine intervention. You have your plan, but God will intervene in the sign that he will bring his kingdom to fulfillment is going to be a miraculous baby being born. It's going to be a sign. God promises a miraculous child who will rule forever from the throne of David. And we know this promise is ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And then we have Psalm 80, where the psalmist leads us in prayer for deliverance and restoration. Three times in that psalm, Lord, restore us and you will save us. Because of God's past deliverance, the psalmist is singing, the psalmist then calls for God once again to let his face shine on his people so they can be saved. And then Matthew 1, the angel Gabriel, announces to Joseph. Joseph also, like Ahaz, Joseph had a plan, and God intervened to thwart that plan. But he announces to Joseph that Mary will, be, will bear a son and that son will save his people from their sins. And this fulfilled what the Lord promised in Isaiah. Matthew literally just quotes straight from our Isaiah reading, saying that the virgin shall conceive a child and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. 
All of our passages tell us that God keeps his promises, that he is trustworthy. Unlike those who have not kept their promises to you, unlike ourselves who have not fulfilled our own promises that we've made, God doesn't overcommit. He doesn't forget the promise that he made. He doesn't change his mind because something frustrated his plans to fulfill his promise. He doesn't back out because fulfilling his promise is inconvenient to him, no matter the cost to him and despite our faithlessness. He will fulfill his promises. His promise is to be with us and to save us from our sins. And that is not a conditional promise. It's not an if-then promise. If you do your part, then I will be with you. Then I will save you from your sins. It is not an if-then conditional promise. And it's easy to think that if we keep our promises, then God will keep his. But that is not, thanks be to God, how he works. He keeps his promises to us because of his mercy, not because of our merit. His faithfulness is based on his nature and his character, not ours. I mean, as a matter of fact, we have a promise in 2 Timothy 2.13 that says, even if we are faithless, God remains faithful. This shows us how we remember our baptism. Baptism, in baptism, we do make some promises. But that's only because God made a first promise. Our promise is a response to his promise, and he fulfills his promise regardless of how well we fulfill our baptismal vows. He is always faithful in baptism to make a promise, to mark you as Christ's own forever. And he keeps that promise. He keeps his vows and promises to us. Our scripture readings show us two enormous promises, not just in our scripture readings, but throughout the entire text of scripture. One, Jesus is God with us and God will be with us. And two, Jesus saves us from our sins. The first one, Jesus is God with us. The consistent promise of the entire Bible is a refrain that God says all throughout Scripture. He says something like this, and it's, sometimes it's um, modified, but very little. This is a constant refrain. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will be with you. He just keeps on repeating that throughout all of Scripture. And it's not just words. He does this. He's hovering over the waters in creation. God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. When there's an exodus, he's in the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. When they finally have a tabernacle, he's present in the tabernacle. And then a temple. And then in Jesus Christ, God with us. And it doesn't even stop there. Jesus departs and then sends the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It's not just Jesus, God is with us, but now it's God in us, in the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but he promised. He said, every time you come to the communion rail, I will be there. 
I will meet you there. I will be present. I'm not passing over you to jump to the next faithful person who shows up. We show up with empty hands, sometimes dirty hands, with the memory of what we've done in thought, word, and deed, done and left undone. And he says, I will be present in the bread and in the wine. That's the promise he will always fulfill. It's an objective promise. That's why we can say, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. He will be God with us forever. Second promise is that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Salvation from sin, just like presence, is a consistently repeated promise throughout the scriptures. And it starts again at the very beginning. I mean, think about this. Genesis 3, this is right after the rebellion. They, they, they violate God's gift. They do the opposite. They side with God's enemy. And God starts out with Genesis 3.15 with a promise to save them and redeem them. And it says in Genesis 3.15, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike the heel of the seed of woman, but the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's a, it's a promise at the very beginning, and we see that just grow in clarity and specificity all the way until you get to Jesus, who literally on the cross and resurrection defeats Satan. So in Christ, God has provided for salvation from sin and heals and reconciles the broken relationship we have with God, others, and ourselves. We, in the ministry of Christ, have been saved from our sins. The consequences of our sins were given to Christ, and he gladly took them, so we didn't have to bear and deal with the consequences of our sin. And then his righteousness, his perfect righteousness was given to us, as if we earned it, so that we are, now under, we are now forgiven of our sins and we're declared pure, perfect, righteous, and holy. And it doesn't even stop there. The Holy Spirit actually makes us what God calls us in Christ. But Jesus grounds the promises of God, not merely in words, but in his life, death, and resurrection. He alone will be the faithful one in our life. Amid greatest temptations, greatest failures, sins, and trials, even unto death, God turns his wrath not from us, away from us, and lets Jesus receive it, and he willingly received it. And then in the resurrection, he turns our eyes from our sins and directs them to Christ. And this means that the gospel is not just negatively stated. The gospel is not only no more guilt, no more condemnation, no more wrath, but it's positive also. It's in Christ you're loved. In Christ you're declared innocent. In Christ you're adopted into the family of God. Therefore, you can have assurance and confidence. This is what Hebrews says. Come boldly before the throne of God where you will always receive mercy and grace. 
And so God's faithfulness in the past, that sounds wonderful. I love looking at God's faithfulness in the past. But if you're like me, you're probably thinking, what about now and what about for me? That's Israel, God's people. What about for me? There are promises now for you. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. One of the comfortable words says, Jesus, come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. Nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God. Not things present, things to come, life, death, powers, height, depth. Nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God, so says God through Paul in Romans. Another one in Romans. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The threat of condemnation from the evil one is a lie. There's no condemnation if you are in Christ. He's not only faithful now, but you have hope that regardless of your faithfulness, he will continue to be faithful to you in the future, all the way to glory. Philippians 1.16 says, he who began a good work in you at your baptism right now, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You're going to get to the finish line. He will get you there. And then Revelation tells us, I will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Neither shall mourning, crying, no more pain. Behold, I am making all things new. So our only real hope is that God is faithful to his promises. And thanks be to God, he always has been, he is now, and he always will be faithful to his promise. And our hope is based on two movements that we've been celebrating all throughout Advent, remembrance and anticipation. And that's why remembrance and anticipation, that's why my favorite proper preface in the entire prayer book is the one for Advent. And we only get it for four weeks. Uh, but this is, it is spectacular. I'm going to read it to you and we will pray it together. But watch, watch what the preface does, looking back and then anticipating the future. And watch how it actually brings up the future return of Jesus when he's coming in great power and triumph to judge the world. That's not a setup for happy, fluffy, nice feelings. It's Jesus is coming back to judge the world. That shocks me, gets my attention. And then it says, but you in Christ, there's no shame or fear. You'll rejoice when he arrives because he's the promise maker who's been faithful to bring you home. This is what the proper, proper preface says. Because you sent your beloved son to redeem us from sin and death and to make us heirs in him of everlasting life that when he shall come again in power and great triumph to judge the world, we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. The hope we need, we borrow from God's faithfulness in the past to enjoy it right now and to sustain us to the future. May we without shame or fear Rejoice to behold his appearing.
Amen.